This is episode 40 with Sonia Livingston, a social psychologist who's been studying children, media, and the internet for over 30 years. And today we'll be talking about how to raise kids in this digital world. I think the screen time debate has has somehow made parents too anxious to think these things I know about parenting, these things I love about parenting, I can do them with the screen as well. And that will benefit the child too because then they'll see why you don't approve of a certain show or, you know, why it is that you've seen through a silly advertising message and you want to explain to the child why, why they shouldn't fall for it. And, you know, so media literacy gets done along the way. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hey mamas, welcome to another episode of Citrus Love Podcast. You've probably heard tons of people talking about screen time is bad for your kids and it's going to affect their brains. And if you're like me, this can create anxiety. How much screen time is okay? What's considered healthy? What's considered unhealthy? Along the way, we get bombarded with articles and you researching how screen time is bad, especially you go see your pediatrician and they're saying how much screen time is your kids watching and you kind of feel guilty if or you might even lie because you don't want your doctor to know that you're going way over the limit that they're suggesting. So how are we supposed to navigate all of this information that's very confusing and that is constantly clashing with maybe how you're living your own life and what works for you in your home. We cannot go to our own mothers for help on this one because 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have what we have regarding technology. So we're all in the same boat, kind of learning as we go, adjusting our ways of how to manage our kids' use of technology, screen time, and basically how to parent with them in this digital world and most likely digital future. And the reality is our kids will watch TV eventually, will use computers, will use laptops, will use iPads or little screens or whatever you're using. I just had to find someone that had a different point of view. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love to read books. Ta-da! I found a book published this summer. The book is called Parenting for a Digital Future, How Hopes and Fears About Technology Shape Our Children's Lives. I'm so excited. Today I have on one of the authors, co-authors of this book, Sonia Livingston, one mother and media expert, and she's keeping it real with what she's learned in her 30 years of research. 
and she did an extensive research with parents in the UK from low income to wealthy families, different religion, ethnicities to reveal how digital technologies characterize parents in these modern times as we parents are basically trying to figure out what is working for us. Sonia Livingston is a professor of social psychology in the Department of Media and Communications at the London School of Economics and Political Science. She has published 20 books on media audiences, especially children, media literacy and digital rights. She has advised the UK government, the European Commission, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Children. She's also participated in Global Kids online project with UNICEF, among many others. Also, I've added a freebie on the website. I went to an online media conference. She was part of it, and uh, they shared tips on how you can use screen time in your family during COVID times. So you'll find that freebie on the website, suchaslove.com. You just sign up and you'll get that downloadable, which is all about giving you helpful suggestions or websites and how you can use screen time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to leave the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It helps get out the conversations to more mamas. So with that being said, let's get to it and listen in on my conversation with Sonia Livingston. Welcome, Sonia. I'm really happy about this topic. We're going to be talking about your new book about screen time parenting for future parenting in a digital world. So thank you again for taking the time to join me today for this conversation. Thank you so much, Christiane. It's a pleasure to be here and talking with you. So for the listeners, you're joining us from London in the UK and I'm in Canada. So this is going to be a global conversation a little bit about how mamas listening can figure out how to navigate this new era, parenting their children with technology. And screen time has become such a major concern for us parents, even for myself, and seeing online the tons of articles coming out all the time, scaring parents. I'm really happy to discuss with you a different perspective to how to approach all of this Um, that we seem to be very concerned about. Absolutely. I mean, in in our book, we uh, interviewed parents, as you say, they were in London, and we also did a national survey in London. Uh, I'm a researcher of children and families and technology, and I kind of keep my eye on the research in lots of different countries. And over the last, I don't know, I guess over the last 10 years, I've really seen attention to screen time rise and it's not just the tension but it's also um, anxiety and what really struck me in the parents that I interviewed for the book is um, guilt. The parents are feeling they talked about so much guilt about their children watching screens or kind of try to add up the time across the devices and just keep track of what the kids are doing and first of all I, I started looking into all the evidence is there really evidence that screen time is bad for kids? And 
it's absolutely the jury is out. There is no clear case that more hours of screen time causes more problems for kids. There just is not that evidence. And so I started trying to think, to, you know, to listen to parents. What are they trying to understand? And what was very striking is, all your listeners will know, parents are living mm -hmm. with technology. If screen time was ever a problem, the game was already up because kids have been engaging with screens since the moment they open their eyes and so are the parents so we have to shift the discourse and think you know which parts of it are good which parts of it are bad what how does it depend on the context of the different families because we're all so different there isn't there isn't the one right answer for that works for every family yeah exactly and and the thing is like with the guidelines that our pediatrics are telling us like how many hours per age it seems well, over here in North America, it seems that parents are really stuck on that. And in your book, you're the co-author, so Parenting for Digital Future, How Hopes and Fears About Technology Shapes Our Children's Lives. Mm -hmm. um, you just mentioned we should be thinking about it differently in terms of context, right? Instead of... Right. Right. We, um, so uh, my co-author is Alicia Blum-Ross and together we really argue that it's better to think in terms of the content of like what's on the screen, the context in which children are engaging and why they come to it and what they've been doing before or after and the connections that screens build because screens these days are not, you know, just a screen in a living room. They are the portal to the whole wide world and uh, that includes family, that includes friends, that includes hobbies, includes learning. Um, so the connections that, that children build through the screen uh, are something that parents have to weigh. And, you know, with all of those three, content, context and connections, there can be positives and negatives. And that's, you know, that's where I would kind of like to uh, shift people's focus to think, how do, we, how do we make those decisions? How do parents make those decisions day to day? Because that's what they're doing anyway. And, and, you know, in the book, we really call for more and better guidance for them. So the contact we know is basically what they're watching on the screen when they are watching? The, the, the content, yes. The content, so, content, yes. Yes, because, because content is, you know, screens carry everything these days. So mm. it doesn't really make any sense to me to add up, you know, so many, you know, children could be watching a cartoon for relaxation. They could be looking up um, a piece of information to kind of follow up on what someone said around them. Um, they could be Skyping a grandma or grandparent. Mm -hmm. uh, they could be uh, sitting on the sofa, kind of half watching whatever it is that an older sibling or a parent is watching. There are such different kinds of, of ways of using screens, different contents on them. And that gets even more the case when you think about older children who might be doing their homework on the screen or, you know, or, or doing, joining in a hobby group or playing a game. It doesn't make any sense to kind of add it all up. So we really want to think about, you know, when are they learning? When are they having fun playing a game? When has the game been going on too long, perhaps? Or when are they not really learning anymore? Or And to say, you know, you've had your time, so you can't do something, you can't play a game with your older brother. Or, you know, it, the families we interviewed just couldn't make any sense of how these rules applied in their daily lives because their lives were 
about the family. Lots of people do, you know, different people wanting to engage with screens in different ways and sometimes together mm -hmm. and sometimes apart and for different mm -hmm. purposes. So we're really trying to kind of be realistic about the um, complexity of families' lives and the importance of screens within that. And then we're trying to focus on the questions that matter, which is about the quality of the experience, not the length. Mm. I mean, in and, terms of context, I, yeah. I just say that the case that always seemed very salient to me is the child who's been uh, running around in the garden playing a ball game or, you know, a sport for several hours. And then they come in and they watch a film, um, they watch a movie on the television or on a tablet and it might take two hours. And to say that's too much time because they're too sedentary doesn't make any sense. They've just been running around all afternoon. Mm. And every parent knows that. But the rules say only one hour when they're such an age and two hours max. It seems to me a very good kind of day might be that a child runs around in the daytime and then they come in and they relax with something on the screen and then they do the homework. And it might take three hours, you know, it might take four hours of screen time. But there is no, there's no scientific evidence that the day I just illustrated is any kind of a problem to a child. Basically, it's not one size fits all. It's every parent should go based on their child's behavior before and after watching. And during. And, and during. And yeah. during. A, a friend sent me a, a video that illustrates the point so well. I, I showed it to some, um, quote, screen time experts recently. So it was a video of a toddler, probably about, I don't know, uh, 12 or 14 months, just, just able to walk. And the older kids have put some music, put music videos on the TV. And the toddler is dancing up and down and just having such fun. And, you know, that's their way of joining in with the older kids and everyone is laughing. And then I read all these accounts that say screen time is bad because it's so sedentary, um, because it's so antisocial. And I think, no, you know, watch, watch the kids. They are often very dynamic in front of a screen. They're very sociable around the screen. They play games based on what they see on the screen, you know, when, they, when it's turned off. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it is the whole thing. Um, and I really do want to say, I think parents understand this as, at a kind of gut level. It's um, on the rules, by the way, can I say something about the American Academy of Pediatrics? Yes, yes. <laughs> which, which, which invented these um, famous um, two by two rules. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, the rules, uh, and these derive from the days when a screen really did mean television. And all we had was television, and especially what we had was one television. So we're talking now about 20 years ago. And they came up with the rules that said um, no more than two hours screen time per day for any child and none at all for a child younger than two. And even then, the evidence was a bit shaky, but they wanted to say something that would um, give parents clear guidance. And I, I, I understand that. And then the Canadian, the Australian, the British, you know, lots of other pediatric and psychological associations kind of produced their version of the rules. And I think many parents have heard them in one form or the other. Mm -hmm. But in 2016, the American Academy of Pediatrics revised the rules and actually kind of threw them out. And a few years later, Canada, Britain, Australia, other places have also revised them. And really? I, I watched that. I've watched that process very carefully. So the advice now in some ways is a bit stricter. The American Association has taken it down to one hour a day for toddlers, which yeah. I don't understand. And I've looked at the evidence behind it and I can't see that it really strongly supports it. 
Um, but then for most, what mostly they say for children older than that is make a plan, make a, make a media diet, make a media diary for your family that, you know, if you're a sports mad family, then include watching the sports and then, you know, go and do something and have a break. Um, you know, make, make kind of rules that say we won't just sit here watching whatever comes on because we can't think of anything else to do. We can all agree that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't try to make a rule the same rule for every family you know you, you're all different mm. um so i so i think that that idea of a kind of a media diet that fits different families is is fine but most of these rules are really designed to tackle one problem and it is a real problem in childhood and it's the problem of obesity so most of the rules most of the pediatricians are really concerned about uh, in wealthy countries children are getting heavier and the sense is that that's because they're sitting in front of screens so you know my argument would be no parent wants their child to be um, overweight but let's think about all the different things that could be done think about diet think about exercise think about sleep think about you know kind of opportunities to kind of run around and time sitting staring at a screen is in that mix mm-hmm. but it's not the only thing it's not the thing that's going to fix the problem it's not the the sort of the the magic bullet solution but it's you know it's part of a mix and you know if you think your child is too sedentary and sits around too much then sure tackle it but if you have a fit active child then i don't see screen time as a problem I want to share a passage from your book, and you wrote that much of the recommendations for parents with their kids' screen time use treats parents as know-nothings, offering simplistic rules such as screen time, installing filters, keeping devices in the family room that fail to address the diverse realities of modern family life in which parents have increasing pressures. I like that because I'm always uh, listening when I hear maybe a new book came out or um, someone spoke about screen time for kids. And I'm always curious to know what they're suggesting. And that's why your book really stood out to me because it seemed to talk about other things. Like I've read a book uh, recently and it was... Um, some sort of specialist and he said that now we're we're seeing negative effects on kids brain after 10 years that basically they're saying it's like giving drugs to your kids when you're letting them use screen time for more than the recommended time and they said under 10 years old that's when you have to be careful and when you hear things like that it really it scares parents and a lot of articles are similar to this but that's not the reality because everyone's using screens parents are using screens so it's like the, the child is seeing their parents on, on the computer or on their phone and they're like well how come you can use it and i can't it's like it creates even more conflict on that end so that's why i like the perspective on this because it's making it real so i i think that that's such an important message for parents because when you know when alicia and i started um going into all these homes and interviewing parents we were so amazed at how different families are and what different concerns they have 
and yet the parent advice is that they should all kind of do the same and be the same mm -hmm. and they're all beating themselves up uh, because they don't feel they're doing the same as the next person and you know people yes, are kind of looking yes. over each other's shoulders you know are you doing oh my goodness are you letting that child have that tablet you know mm -hmm. so there's a lot of judgment and a lot of guilt and kind of shaming that goes on so we wanted so we're not saying um sure just leave the kids in front of the screens all day long <laughs> that's great we absolutely not but um focusing just on the screen time has it seems a simple rule and because it's so simple firstly everyone has to break it so then they feel guilty yeah <laughs> um and and then uh you know, they, it doesn't fit family life. So we need a, a more nuanced rule. So the more nuanced rules that, you know, as I've said, can kind of be more tailored to different family values or different family um, preferences or interests or circumstances, families will then all come to a different kind of a resolution for themselves. And we were very struck interviewing families that some kind of felt that confidence to say, you know, well, we're this kind of a family. I don't know. We're, um, it might be we're a religious family so we have um you know a religious day off with no screens and some of our screen time will be given to religious content it might be a sporty family that says you know we prioritize sport and everything else no screens still after homework and another family might you know we we all love kind of background music and we just have music playing on music videos the whole time but no one's really watching so that's you know just like such different solutions mm -hmm. um so so that's what we saw from families so you know uh, christiane you and i are kind of talking quite informally but but you're right to say that there is um there is a whole scientific debate going on and actually i would say it's raging it's pretty um fraught right now and in addition to the scientists who i think are having a really healthy and genuine argument about really what does this study show about brain development and really what does that study show about uh, positive or negative effects of of screens there are also lots of folk who are, um, you know, they're kind of in the business of offering advice to parents or maybe selling apps to parents that offer a sense of control. And I think, you know, sometimes they're very well-meaning and sometimes it's a bit of an illusion of control that's, that's offered to parents because, as I say, if it doesn't fit your circumstances, you're left not knowing what to do. So that's why I think it's much more empowering for parents to kind of go back to who they are and what they do know. And strikingly, parents today, especially parents of younger children, are the digital generation themselves. You know, they, mm -hmm. they often know quite a lot about technology. And we felt that if parents kind of drew on what they knew about the technology, the negatives as well as the positives, you know, kind of draw, in a, draw on, the, on their knowledge in the round, then that would really help them more than, as it were, kind of taking a how to do it guide off the shelf and trying slavishly to follow a rule. So as you'll know for the book, we also interviewed quite a lot of parents who were like mum bloggers or mm -hmm. um, geeky in various ways, um, who love the technology and want to show it to their children and want to share. And that can help the children themselves become quite knowledgeable sometimes. It can help them, you know, gain some valuable skills because, of course, technology brings the good things in society as well as the problems. Mm -hmm. um, and we want our children to be digitally literate, let's say. We want them to kind of grow up and have the skills to make their own judgments about the digital world. So I think, you know, if parents can kind of bring in more of what they know and what they've learned through being around, grow, often growing up with technologies themselves in various ways, 
and not try to kind of do the same as everyone else, but, you know, find their own way. I think that's, that's um, helpful. I'm a psychologist. I'm not a neurologist. So I, I read those, those studies about neurology and brain science and kids getting dopamine hits from the games they play and so mm -hmm. on. And it doesn't take long to see that this evidence, the arguments have some merit, but the evidence is contested. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, of course, kids' brains are developing and they develop really strongly in the early years. So, of course, you know, one wants to kind of be careful and stimulate them and uh, support their learning and their development. But where it's contested is in the idea that screen time damages the brain. And for every scientist you can find saying one thing, you can find one or even three saying the opposite. And the main authorities, whether it is the American Academy of Pediatrics or the Canadian Pediatric Association, or in Britain, we have the Royal College of Pediatricians recently put out a statement, you know, whenever you get those kind of um, big authoritative organizations reviewing all the evidence, then they say there are some reasons for concern and caution. There are lots of reasons for optimism. There's no compelling case to say, turn it all off. But what we have to do is figure out when is it more beneficial for children and when is it not? And those are the judgments that we've all got to make as a society and as parents. Mm -hmm. The third C was connection. And I want to talk mm. about what you mentioned in the book, how parents should focus on the quality and joint engagement or shared digital pleasures rather than quantity. And I was thinking about it and how I do it. I love to bake and my son, I'm teaching him to bake as well. And on Netflix, there's some great baking shows. So sometimes he tells me, mom, do you want to watch like a baking show together? And, and we do, and we watch it. And afterwards mm -hmm. we, we start baking something together. So I mm -hmm. think about that and yes, uh, this is, this is great. It's kind of doing an activity afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of joint media engagement uh, actually was developed by the folks at the Joan Gantz Cooney Center um, in um, California and has encapsulated what is probably um, the kind of the main insight of parenting studies over the last few decades. So if I just start with the, the parenting studies around childhood socialization, there's been lots of work that has tried to compare different styles of parenting. And those, the parents that kind of say, do this, don't do that. Um, you've had enough, stop. I'm watching you. Here's your punishment. And um, you know, the kind of authoritarian mm -hmm. sort of parenting um, which, you know, many of us had <laughs> as children. And, and, you know, in the book, we asked the parents, how were they parented? And lots of them talked about having had those kinds of authoritarian parents. And my reading of the screen time advice is it, it repeats that tradition. It says, you've been on long enough. It's time to stop. I'm going to take away the tablet because you've been naughty. So, so the psychologists, the developmental psychologists are absolutely clear that this is, this is not um, the optimal parenting style. Similarly, uh, they're not in favor of the opposite, which is, you know, do what you want. I'm not really watching. I can't be bothered. You know, you're on your own. Um, whatever you want to do goes. Um, so that kind of laissez-faire style also doesn't work. So where the, the parenting experts are, are coming to is that we need some sense of the way in which parents kind of place boundaries and a support in a kind of warm and engaged way within boundaries. And so they do play a role of kind of 
controlling and managing the parameters of what children do, but they do it through a dialogue and they do it through an exchange that reflects and respects what it is that the child wants and the child is interested in. Mm -hmm. The parent responds to the child and the child also develops agency in expressing what works for them and what they like and when they've had enough. And you kind of learn to respect each other. So the idea of joint media engagement is really to kind of include the media in that because the screens, the technology, they're so powerful as you know, how we learn cooking recipes in, in, in your example. No one looks up in a cookery book anymore. They, um, <laughs> they go to YouTube when they want to know how to, or they go to, they check online. Mm-hmm. Um, for a re- So, you know, the screens are part of how we know we, we engage with the world. And then the idea is to kind of bring that into that joint engagement between the parent and the child. So it becomes part of the way in which we judge can we find a shared interest you know maybe it is um you know a little stereotype perhaps but maybe it is dad and the younger boy you know playing video games together on a saturday morning before anyone else has woken up okay but it's a joint engagement and maybe during that play they can talk about what's coming up in the day or maybe something that worries the child Uh, you know so so the joint media engagement creates a kind of trusting moment in which all kinds of relationship things can be said or worries can be expressed or advice can be given Um, but you also find some joint pleasures and I think you know parents don't have children because they want to boss them about and police them they have children because they want to you know love them and find joint pleasures and enjoy doing things together um you know the parent kind of wants to show the child this is what i find exciting and what do you find exciting and interesting and where can we learn together and where do you want to show me something you've learned all of those things um i think the screen time debate has has somehow made parents too anxious to think these things I know about parenting, these things I love about parenting, I can do them with the screen as well. And that will benefit the child too, because then they'll see why you don't approve of a certain show or, you know, why it is that you've seen through a silly advertising message and you want to explain to the child why, why they shouldn't fall for it. And, you know, so media literacy gets done along the way. Mm. um all kinds of values get spoken along the way as well that's what we that's what we heard a lot from parents that I think parents are very keen to kind of find a way to share and explain their values to their child and their kind of philosophy of parenting if you like and Mm. uh, um, and often they do that while in front of a screen or while engaging together with a screen is there through your research or what you've read did you find like there should be a certain amount of screen time that the teenager can can watch by himself and sometime has to be together or side by side as a family is there a relation of how much solo time versus together time for using digital technology screen time or there's no relation there's no there's really no relation in the research literature and let me give you a little sense about why um and it goes back to what i said about how diverse families are mm-hmm. so you know people people often comment critically about teenagers on their phone sitting yeah. on the sofa when the family's all watching a show together and mm-hmm. why are they on their phone and instead of criticizing the teenager that always makes me think how much does this teenager have a chance to kind of have their own private space or their own time to focus on what they want and maybe everyone lives in a small house and there isn't much um, privacy or maybe um, they have a really busy kind of schedule of school and activities and they don't have much downtime and 
And maybe uh, the families all had a row and families aren't always happy and maybe there are tensions and they want to signal, excuse me, I'm not with you guys for a moment for this Mm -hmm. time. You know, there are so many reasons why, in this case, a teenager might choose to spend some time on their own with the screen rather than with the others that I think it's just always safest to start by thinking about the context and and maybe asking that teenager, you know, why don't you want to watch what everyone else is watching? I don't think the parent is always the right, doesn't always ask it in the right way because they can get a bit <laughs> frustrated. But um, And then, you know, another, uh, the opposite case, and we saw this uh, quite a lot in our research, is lots of families have developed these incredibly busy lives where people are you know, there's school, there's work, there's after school activities, there's um, chores, there's, you know, there's so much that Mm -hmm. actually a day can go by and the family doesn't really do anything together. And, And in those cases, we saw sometimes the child, but very often the parent would say, you know, just put on something on the TV that they knew everyone enjoyed. And people would kind of gather around, maybe in their own way. And the media would become a moment of family togetherness that would stand for the togetherness in the day and might just be the moment when you know a mum gets to cuddle her awkward teenage son or um you know the kids just calm down for a bit and everyone can concentrate on something they can talk about the next day Mm -hmm. so sometimes the media are the moment that brings people together but sometimes they're the way in which people who are too on top of each other or a bit stressed with each other can can pull apart and there are so many things that shape that dynamic, but I think we saw it in every family. You know, the things that pull us together, the things that make us need to have our own space and our own time. And parents feel it too. Lots of parents told us about um, the moment when the kids had gone to sleep and phew, thank goodness, they could finally kind of have a bit of me time. <laughs> and that bit of me time was often on a screen. Yeah. That was, you know, that was catching up on a favorite blogging community or watching, you know, uh, watching a video that others aren't interested in or just catching up an email and feeling you've got the day a bit in order mm-hmm. um so i think families are kind of characterized by that you know come together pull apart dynamic but when a family you know if i go to the kind of concern and i think the concern maybe is when the when the when when the parent is worried that the child is kind of too much apart or too much on their own or staring at a screen instead of listening to the family discussion I would say that the research kind of really suggests that the screen is a pretext and the reason the child is doing that lies somewhere else in the, you know, maybe they're picking up on tensions between their parents. Maybe they're tuning out because they feel that everyone's really worried about money or health and they kind of can't cope with it because they can't do anything about it. Or, you know, there are lots of families have a lot of very real struggles uh, to cope with and children are very sensitive to those. And we don't, we don't always include children or maybe it's not appropriate to include children but they they do pick up on it so it makes them feel pretty powerless when everyone's they're all worrying about things so the screen is an escape for them and I think when you see a child do that you know if you've got time to do something about it then think about other things in their life it's not just why are you watching that again or my goodness you've seen that a million times before it's you know what led them to that point in, in in their lives I love that. Oh my gosh. Like I, and I'm talking about what I'm reading on some mom forums and people I know and myself included our tendency. Yes. It's like everyone's back home, put your phones away or your, your screens away because we have to 
communicate and talk. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and it's true that we don't think about, well, it's not just about the screens. It's about maybe sometimes avoiding something bigger right. than that. Yes. It's, it's yeah. a good reminder for parents to think about everything around before and after the, right. con- the context. Yeah, exactly. It's, ha- it's hard for parents, isn't it? They have to, they have to think about so many things. And, <laughs> so we, and we're, just, we're just, Christian, we're just adding to their to-do list now. But um, <laughs> I, so I don't, I don't want to be the, you know, the added burden. But I think the point is that, you know, the screens are incredibly salient in our homes and in our lives. And that image of a child staring at a screen, seeming to be in another world instead of listening to what the parent says, you know, that drives all parents mad, I think. It drives us nuts. Uh-huh. Um, because you kind of feel that you don't quite have control and the child is somehow, you know, escaping you. Um, but I think, it, you know, the salience of the screen doesn't mean that the screen is the cause. It's the, it's the symptom, if you like. And there are so many things happening in families that are difficult, especially now that those other things are what leads kids to, you know, just tune out sometimes Um, or watch the thing that they know drives you mad because you've just told them they can't go out and see their friends or you've made them do their homework. You've made them eat something they don't like. So they go and watch something they know you disapprove of. You know, there's a lot of games that go on in families and the screens are really, the media are really great kind of toolkit for that because they, you know, they can be used in so many different ways. But Mm -hmm. uh, And one thing I want to mention is because I've seen a lot of parents, I mean, a lot of them are working from home and they have kids at home. And sometimes they say, I don't want to feel bad giving my my kids screen time because I have a meeting online or I have a Uh project that I need to focus on. And it's like even myself, some days... I have a podcast interview and I don't uh-huh. want kids to interrupt me. So I let them have some screen time and they understand and they know uh-huh. that I'm uh-huh. doing my thing. So watch your uh-huh. screen and I'll be able to get my work done and then we'll go uh-huh. outside and play afterwards or something like that. So yeah, that's exactly it. You talk in your book about uh, parents are either embracing technology, balancing it or resisting it. Um, is one parent like all in in one category or it changes? Well, the first point to make is it changes a lot. So um, in one chapter, we kind of uh, introduce a number of the families by kind of showing how over over a course of a day, even you can kind of begin by thinking, um, you know, I'm going to really limit screens and no one's going to have anything on doing breakfast, whatever. And then by the evening, you know, you're in a different mood or <laughs> um, so parents vary across the day and they vary amongst themselves but what I think what we were trying to say is um you know most families are somehow trying to find a balance in uh, or trying to kind of get what they think of as a good a good kind of balance between certain amount of screen activity but not um being over overrun by it and it's sort of about control um feeling control of your of your activities and your technologies and it it's also about hedging your bets it's about um you know we don't quite know where this digital world is leading and what the risks might be and what the benefits might be in in the long term so we came up with the idea of balancing embracing and resisting partly because we'd ask parents to look back at their childhood and talk about how they were brought up and you know parents 
sometimes are trying very hard to reproduce what they had you know the things that they remember with affection they want and of course that's not about screens by and large so they they want their children to have the chance to run around in the um in in nature and get muddy knees and fall out of trees just like they did or they want their children to read books like they did or they want their children to have lots of i don't know whatever it is Mm -hmm. Um, but it's but looking back tends to result in a non-digital vision of childhood and so they try to reproduce that and then they look forward and we ask them okay your child is going to grow up in 10 or 20 years so that's 2030 or 2040 tell us about how life will be then and of course nobody nobody has the faintest idea what life will be like in 2040 or even 2030 so we remember child, how childhood was in a kind of different era. And then we're bringing up children for a future we can't imagine. Mm-hmm. So it's a, tough, it's a tough call. And so the, the one temptation to resist, I think, comes really from those who look back and say, I want to hang on to something that was good. Um, but it also comes from the fear of looking forward. Because if you think about 2030 or 2040, you kind of imagine a science fiction world. And we had lots of accounts of a, the world where the computers have taken over and the children are all kind of chipped and implanted. And, um, you know, we and the robots are running our schools and, you know, we get scared, we get worried about. So, of course, we want to resist and, and remember other ways of, of, of living that aren't all with technology. But then technology is exciting. And the way I can illustrate that is I still think I've never met anyone who says, I wish it would all go away. Mm. I wish we never thought of the internet. I wish we never had put smartphones in anyone's hand. Um, I know we all have moments of remembering, but we know really that the past wasn't so great. And we all love, I think, being able to check the news or the weather or contact people in other countries, you know, just just by a click of the device in our hands. So in a sense, we are all enthusiasts for it. And some people are very much so, and they really, they go all out. They want to understand the technology. They want to be able to program their devices. They want to kind of keep up with the debates of, of what's coming and what's new. Um, so they kind of embrace it and, and they want to embrace it for their children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are very contradictory impulses and they, they come in the advice to parents as well that says, sure, don't have too much screen time, but also don't fall behind, keep up, learn the digital skills. You know, you don't want to be left in the olden days. So, so in the end, what we thought most parents are doing is balancing and balancing is probably, you know, also the optimal strategy. Balancing mm-hmm. is not just, you don't strike a balance and you just live with it. You're constantly adjusting and parents are always watching. Is this too much, too little? Good mm-hmm. for them, bad for them, making them happy, making them worried. So it's a really effortful process to balance. So it's probably the optimal way, but then some have good reasons to resist. Some have good reasons to embrace allow the diversity and uh, let people kind of find their own way and what some people are more musical and some people are less musical and it would be mad to say we should all you know have one hour of music a day mm-hmm. so the diversity is the really crucial thing but it's it, it needs to be something we think about and kind of you know understand why we make the choices we make mm-hmm. in the book you wrote how technology has become both a threat to children's security and promise route can you talk about what can or should parents listening today do to lessen the maybe security 
issues or fears that parents mm-hmm. have um, for mm-hmm. their kids going online, block some mm-hmm. site from your kids' mm-hmm. devices. What mm-hmm. are your suggestions based on that, based on everything you know? Well, there is, you'll, you'll know by now, I don't have a one-size-fits-all kind of solution. Yeah. Um, but I do think there are things um, parents can do. So the, the really crucial thing, apart from all the wonderful things the internet brings and the headlines tell us every day about all the risks it brings, uh, one of the main reasons for these risks is that the internet is not really being designed for children at all. But children are using it and children can benefit from it so much but it hasn't been designed for them and it doesn't take their needs and kind of interests and rights into account so parents play a role that is shall we say when the children are young you might do quite a lot of curating only certain devices or a device with only simple features or um, only certain kind of channels on the device if we're talking about a really young child mm-hmm. um, and then Uh, I think two things happen. Firstly, the child has got to, of course, learn gradually to do it by themselves because there isn't a switch that happens at the age of 18 when suddenly oh, they wise up and they know how to do everything. (laughs) So, you know, they have to they have to learn gradually and they learn gradually uh, and their peers will always take them a bit faster than they're ready to go. That's one of that's what we know about friendships and school that you're always being kind of pulled ahead into the um more teenage or adult world just that little bit faster than you are ready to go and so that's something that parents are are always having to kind of think about and talk their children through so the child has got to learn and will learn to gradually manage and for themselves and the parent's role doesn't get less so the parent's role just changes because they're not you know when the child becomes a teenager they're not so much putting on the filters and saying you can't do this but they are they need to be there they need to still know which to be the person that the child will want to come to when there's a problem mm-hmm. and they so that means they kind of need to show themselves knowledgeable about the digital world and calm and capable when something goes wrong instead of panicky or confiscating the phone because then the child will never tell you anything you know it's, it's a difficult role and there are lots of tools out there for uh, yes putting on filters when they're little and kind of blocking certain apps or or, or sites you know when they're young fine but sometimes uh, sometimes they grow up the parent needs to find a way to trust the child and the child needs to become trustworthy Mm. Uh, and that's that's the delicate process because if the parent carries on trying to control too long then the child will just evade them and you know figure out how to hide the apps on their phone or um you know get a second phone or always play something that's too old for them when they go and see a friend so children will evade if they feel they're inappropriately controlled and that's where the, the trust between parent and child and the open conversation is is the crucial thing i don't i don't think parents task is made very easy by the industry i'm i'm very i'm kind of worried by the way in which you know new apps come in before there are filters available for them or before um there are kind of the safety features enabled on them so children are very quick at getting the latest thing and the latest thing is often the riskiest thing so tiktok Mm. was the you know the the example of the last year the industry could make it easier for parents by making sure that the safety features are available from day one and telling parents about them in a way that is really kind of clear and easy to use but the hard thing for parents is that children learn partly by making mistakes and we're all quite scared of them making mistakes online so you you need to kind of be the safety net for your child 
you can't close the bedroom door and lock them in. <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, you're very much concerned with children's rights in the digital age. Um, mm. What are some of these rights that you're focusing on for kids right now? Well, I would say that ever since the internet, I've been working in this field since the internet was, well, since the World Wide Web was begun, so let's say 30 <laughs> years. And for a long time, I kind of worked with this idea of, you know, the internet brings risks and it brings opportunities. And that's the balance we, we want to get right. And, and those are both rights of the child in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Children should be protected and they should have the chance to kind of express themselves and learn and gain information just like anybody else. A few rights that I've been thinking about more recently, and one of them is what I call privacy and what I suspect you call privacy, mm -hmm. um, which is the way in which everything is recorded online. And this is, this is such a new challenge. So everything is recorded, everything can be tracked, and everything is being monetized. And that's a really demanding and difficult thing for parents to understand and it's not even it's not always clear how it matters but it think it's increasingly going to matter so what kind of digital footprint does a child have you know even by the time they're born they have a digital footprint because the parents have shared the ultrasound photo or mm -hmm. you know kind of announced them on their social media or you know and then and then it all gets added to by what the parent does by what the grandparents or the friends do by what the child does by what the companies do so this, this whole kind of ecology of data um, and data collection, it's worth a lot of money to advertisers and marketers, um, something that's very difficult for parents to control. And it can, it also is becoming um, the input to the algorithms that are going to make the decisions over our lives, the kind of machine computer processes that are going to um, increasingly being used to make decisions about university entrance or insurance provision or, you know, opportunities to or getting jobs. Um, we don't know how it's going to play out, but I think, you know, thinking about the digital future, you asked me what can parents do. Um, I think at this point, what parents can do is be thoughtful about what they share about their child. Absolutely not share anything that could be misused or abused or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of taken out of context in a, in a way that might be criminal or, or harmful. And I know it takes a little time, but always say no to those beastly cookies and no to that tracking and no to that geolocation because you don't want others to know where your child is. You know, so it just takes a little time, clear out the history when you get the opportunity, check what data might be found about your child and, and cut it back or, or correct it where you can. So that's something that I've been giving a lot of thought to at the moment. And then maybe just one other thing I'll just say really briefly, but, you know, whenever I'm in doubt about how parents can think about children online, a great starting point is always to ask the child what they think and what, mm -hmm. what they know. And that in the, in the rights language, that's Article 12, the right to be heard. Children have a stake in this digital world and we don't consult them enough. Uh, they're not the only word. Others know better sometimes, but they really do have useful stuff to say. Mm. I know some parents, they don't want to put their kid's face in photos. They always take it from an angle where you can't see their face. But I see other parents where, I mean, they're creating Instagram accounts for their babies or their child. In this case, for overall safety and for going forward, like you said, would you 
discourage parents from doing that until the child is old enough to actually have a say in if they do want a Facebook account or things like that? Mm. So I, um, it's a really complicated area. We're, we're all trying to figure this out together. I, I think it's worth um, keeping the child's the record about the child to a reasonable minimum. So what do I mean by a reasonable minimum? I would be aware of the way in which seemingly innocent pictures of children jumping in and out of a paddling pool can be taken and used in the wrong way. I think parents should think about that. You know, I completely understand why parents want to share the images of their child and the digital world is the way to do it now. So I would say whenever you sign up with a new app, take a look at the privacy settings and make it them as minimal as you can. You know, if grandparents live abroad and you want, or in another city and you want to share images, great. No need to make that public. No need to share with your 2,000 friends. You know, maybe share mm -hmm. it with your 50 friends. Mm. I mean, I would just say be thoughtful and keep it reasonably minimal. But I, you know, just as I think it's not reasonable to say children can't have any technology, I would say the same for parents because this is the digital age. And I think just as we say to children, don't post anything that you don't want your grandmother to see. I might say to um, the, the child that I might say to the parent, don't post anything that you think will upset your child later. Hmm. And you know what upsets children? What upsets children is those funny photos parents like to take of them with food all over their face or, you know, when a haircut goes wrong or they, they hate pictures that make them look idiotic or too childish or all dressed up to please the relatives in a way that isn't cool for their friends. You know, so what upsets children is actually quite interesting. And from the age of about six or seven, I would say if you do share a lot about your child, you can start showing them what you share, watch their faces, see how they like it. If they don't, then discuss why. Children have quite a kind of instinctive feel for it and uh, they can be consulted. Mm, love that. I have a quick question because we really didn't touch upon this. Your thoughts on out of the home, like when you go to visit relatives and your child is on their screen instead of talking, or if you go uh -huh. to a restaurant and your child is on the screen uh -huh. or in the car, uh -huh. what's your thoughts on, on that? I'm curious to know. I think we ask our children to do a lot of things because we want them to do it, but they don't especially want to. And I am inclined to think that if the child is on a screen in a restaurant or in the car, um, it's fine. I mean, we have, we have defined the situation for them. We give them no choice that is incredibly constrained what they can do. Uh, they can't stretch their legs or shout or run about or say, I've had enough of this. So if the screen gets them through being a good boy or girl for mum and dad then or whoever then fine going to see relatives or going to see, you know why does the child want to be on the screen rather than you know maybe we make kids do too much of that be too good too often maybe we need to kind of you know take a bit more of a lead from them sometimes about what they would like to do how do we decide when we leave a social situation usually the adult decides or the child starts playing up and the child learns that this situation is never going to end when I want it to unless I become bad. You know, so we could be a little more respecting of what our children want, but we want stuff too as parents. And then maybe the screen is the compromise. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so where can listeners learn more about you, your research? Give us all the t details. 
Well, thank you. Maybe the thing I would most love people to look at, and I think they might be interested, is a blog I run called Parenting.Digital. And on Parenting.Digital, I try to write um, kind of research-informed insights into parenting in a digital world. And a lot of the blog posts are written by others. So I invite anyone who has some kind of research contribution or you know, interesting things to say. So it's quite diverse and people write from all around the world. So that's probably the main thing. Um, yeah, I'm on, tw- I love Twitter. Um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't because there are many, <laughs> but I, I love being able to connect with people who are kind of thinking about similar things to me on Twitter. So on Twitter, I'm at Livingstone underscore S and my website with all my research is at sonialivingstone.net. And I'll ask you one last question I asked everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. Keeping motherhood inspired, what one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? Um, I think nobody quite told me before I had children that they children could be such fun. They, they have brought the fun and the laughter and the silliness into my life that I kind of left behind when I became an adult. And to me, treasuring that and making time for that has just been brilliant. Hmm. Love that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening, two, three, four, five, six stars, whatever you feel reflect podcast. This will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye guys.